Welcome back to the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast, episode 60. Today I'm going to talk about a few things, actually. I was tasked today, or on my to-do list, I had to record my podcast for next week, and I really didn't have an idea exactly of what I wanted to talk about. So I went into my archive of podcast ideas list, which all have came from you all. So various messages and emails, I just copy and paste them straight into a list. And there were a few that I didn't really feel like could have a whole episode dedicated to just that question. So I picked three. So I'm going to answer how we store wheat for milling, how we reheat food without a microwave, and talking a little bit about what Daniel is eating now and just transitioning babies into eating food. So first off, if you have not yet grabbed my free ebook with my sourdough recipes, super popular during quarantine and COVID, the fascination is definitely worn down a bit, but I still do find that there are people who are maintaining their starters. And I really hope that you are, if you made a starter during quarantine, you're keeping it up and making recipes with it. You'll love it. Actually, I just had somebody the other day message me in my Instagram and tell me that they received a sourdough starter from someone that was passed down from the 17th century. I don't remember the exact year, but it was 16 something. And that was very shocking. (laughs) So I was pretty proud of my 10 year old ish, uh, maybe a little bit. No, it's about 10 years old starter, but clearly I don't have much room to be proud of that considering there is one from the 17th century floating around. I'm sure there are more as well. So, um, hopefully if you created a starter during COVID 2020, you will have something to pass down to your kids and grandkids, and you can just keep it up and make all of those recipes. So anyways, you can grab, that sourdough ebook to get you started on making lots of things at bit.ly slash farmhouse sourdough. My name is Lisa, mom of six and creator of the blog and YouTube channel Farmhouse on Boone. Join me as I share with you my love for creating a handmade home from scratch cooking and a little mom and entrepreneur life along the way. All right, let's dive into answering some of these questions. First of all, I'm going to start with how we reheat our food without a microwave. Whenever I hear this question, it's one of those things that I don't make a separate, like a special video or a podcast for because it's a pretty short answer, but it's not something I've talked about a whole lot. So Luke and I have not had a microwave since probably about 10 years ago. I think maybe the first year of marriage we had a microwave. I was just used to having one in my house and I wasn't something I really given much thought to. But after about a year or so after I learned how to cook from scratch and I also had read a little bit about microwaves and how they actually can make food unhealthy. And you know, I haven't read into this whole thing literally since then. It was one of those things that I read it We got rid of the microwave and then I never really thought about it again. So if there is any new studies and data on that whole topic, I really don't know. So maybe it's not dangerous or unhealthy anymore to heat food with a microwave. I don't know, but you can look into that and see what people are currently saying. All I know is one, I did not like that the fact that it could be potentially making my healthy food that I bought unhealthy. And then also I didn't want to give up the countertop real estate. So in my current kitchen, 
there's really not a place for a microwave. I could have designed the kitchen to allow for a place for it, but we didn't. And then our last house, since it was a 1920s house, there wasn't a place for the microwave. We had it just sitting on top of the counter and I always kind of hated that it was there because we had limited counter space to begin with and obviously microwaves are large. And so it took up just that precious real estate that I didn't want to give up. So whenever we got rid of it, I don't really remember the transition being difficult because I don't think we had really used it a whole lot. But I can tell you now that I forget what reasons people might even use microwaves for because it's been so long. So let me give you a few ideas of how we reheat food, which I guess that's obviously the main thing people use microwaves for is reheating food. First of all, whenever we have a leftover, I will often store it in a glass container. And the best thing about doing that is you can always just put it right back in the oven if it's being stored in a glass container. Sometimes we'll do these meals where it's, we just call it a smorgasbord and it's whatever little bits of things are stored in glass containers in the refrigerator. We just get them all out, heat the oven up to like 300 degrees and put them in there. Now, if you don't add foil, which sometimes we do, sometimes we don't, you will get some food that gets a little crusty on top, depending on the food. So certain things are definitely better reheated this way and certain things aren't. Now, if it's something that has a little bit of a liquid component like spaghetti, or something that has like a sauce. We'll often put that right into a cast iron skillet on the stove. If you add a lid, it helps to distribute the heat better. You can put it on low to not burn it. If we're in a hurry, we'll heat almost anything up just on the stovetop. So if, even if it's like a sourdough skillet dinner, which really doesn't heat up very well on the stovetop because it has that bread component on the top, it doesn't get super warm very quickly. We'll just put the lid on, put it on the stovetop, crank it up, and just eat it half cold. But that's just something that we're willing to do if we're in a pinch and I don't have time for it to heat in the oven because that always does take a little bit longer. Another thing that we do stovetop is popcorn. We just take a stainless steel pot with a lid add a little bit of coconut oil, add the popcorn, put the lid on, cook it on medium to high until it is done. If you shake it, it helps it not to burn. I do actually have a whole post on this topic on my blog. So if you want exact measurements of coconut oil and popcorn while you're getting used to this, you can check that out over on the blog. If you just go to pharmasunboon.com and search stovetop popcorn. Now, some of my tips for reheating food so that it doesn't get dry if you are reheating in a cast iron skillet, you're doing that really quickly, is to add butter, salt, and herbs. That really helps. So for example, if you've made something like steak or chicken breasts and they tend to get dry if they're overcooked to begin with, and then if you reheat them, they get even more overcooked, add some butter to a cast iron skillet and stir it around, add a little bit of salt. It actually tastes even better the second time if you do that. Now, I have a little helper who just joined me. Hi, buddy. <laughs> just when I was going to record my podcast, we're going to be talking about you and what you eat. But if you've made a whole chicken, my tip for that is to not discard the juices that the chicken was cooked in or that it, that it made that came out whenever you were cooking it. So make sure that whenever you put half of the chicken that you've picked from the bones and all of that back into a glass container to add any drippings from the cooking, because then whenever you go to reheat it in your cast iron skillet, it'll just make it more flavorful and tender and not dry. So you always want to add either a fat 
or a liquid or something when you're reheating food. Another good tip is to add an onion whenever you're reheating something because onions sweat and it'll sort of rehydrate the food and make it even more tasty the second time around. If you make too many scrambled eggs or something and if they're hopefully not overcooked to begin with, that's where a problem will happen is if something's already overcooked and then you're reheating it on a cast iron skillet it'll get even drier. Um, with scrambled eggs, my tip is just to add a little bit of butter and cook them really quickly. So don't cook them long, just until they're warm. We'll reheat something like a quiche. If say we ate half of the quiche, we'll just reheat it right in the oven. I'll store it sometimes even in the cast iron skillet in the refrigerator. I just put a lid on top. I have a glass lid that fits one of my cast iron skillets and I have a cast iron lid that fits one of the smaller ones. And since I have four different cast iron skillets, I'll just put one in the refrigerator with the plan to pop it back into a 300 degree oven the next day. So pretty much all just glass containers and cast irons in the oven and then cast iron stovetop is how we reheat everything. Adding moisture, adding fat, adding salt helps with the taste and not to make things dry. Now, a little tip for if you are relying on your microwave to defrost meat, and you would rather not have a microwave. A tip for that is hot water. So I do this a lot where if I have something completely frozen in a package, like pork chops that are wrapped in plastic from the butcher shop or ground beef, venison, pork, anything like that that's in a plastic container, I will fill a bowl with really hot water and just submerge it in that. And then for ground meats, within minutes, they have at least thought enough to take the plastic packaging off to then cook it in a skillet with a lid um, and cook it slow, maybe with some onions, some lime juice, some water, even something with moisture with the lid on, will steam it and make it break apart and cook. Now, I also have done this with chicken. If it's wrapped in plastic, we'll put it in hot water and then um, just enough to get the plastic packaging off and then cook it in my Instant Pot or something. Now, my preference is to always have meat thawed in the refrigerator in a nine by 13 dish, but you know how life is. So sometimes I don't. So I do use the hot water trick pretty often to defrost meat. Okay. On the next topic, where I store grains. I know I've talked about this before, but in case you haven't found that episode because it was buried somewhere in a podcast episode, we do use five gallon plastic buckets. Now, ideally there'd be some kind of better solution, but I don't feel like much of the grain would pick up any BPA because it has that hard external kernel and then so much of the grain is inside. So there's like a layer of kernels around the outside and then it's just not something I'm very concerned about. Um, if I do find a better solution though, I will let you know, but at the moment it's not something I'm very concerned about. I use food grade five gallon buckets. And then my big tip for buying grains in bulk is getting the gamma lids. So I have them linked on my Amazon shop. You can also get them from Azure Standard. I will leave a link down in the show notes for my Azure Standard shopping list. I'm actually, it's not gonna be up at the time of this recording, but I am working on putting together all the best deals currently from Azure Standard. I have a few things I get on there and I really want to just sit down and research and find all the best prices on there. So I will be putting that together soon. And so when it is available, it'll be on my blog, farmhouseonboon.com if you just search Azure Standard or it'll be down in the show notes once it's available. So yeah, those twist top lids 
Make it really nice because otherwise it's very hard to get in and out of those five gallon buckets as often as you need to if you're gonna be baking a lot of bread, milling a lot of grains. I just find them really difficult to pull those tops off. So the twist tops are really good. Currently I have einkorn berries, kamut, spelt, rye, barley, and Danny, there was something else. What was it? And I think that's it. But most of those are because I'm experimenting with recipes for the blog. Something I always have is einkorn berries. So typically I don't need a lot of five gallon buckets because I don't actually keep that many whole grains in stock. Just what I use for my daily bread making. Finally, I'm going to talk about babies and transitioning them to food. So the technical term, or at least the current modern day term for what I do is baby led weaning. I don't really know what all that means. I haven't read much into baby led weaning, but I can tell you what it means for me and what we do. So essentially I just don't ever make baby food for Daniel or mash up a food and spoon feed it to him. I mostly just allow him to eat whatever he can pick up. So whenever he was around six months, this was very little, if any, he might've had like smeared his banana against his tray and got a tiny bit in his mouth. It was more just he was playing with the food. Same with about seven months. It was really around eight months and then now he's nine months that a lot of it actually started making it in. And a lot is not totally accurate because he still gets most of his nutrition from nursing. But whenever we sit down for a meal, we definitely give him food on his tray. And he now has that grasp, that pincher grasp, where he can actually pick it up and put it into his mouth with pretty good precision and accuracy. But before, he was mostly just smashing it and throwing it on the floor. And he still does a fair amount of that as well, but more does make it in. So some of Daniel's top foods and the foods that I like to give him now are sauerkraut. I love introducing babies to fermented foods at a young age. I used to give my second and third children kefir, but so far I've only given Daniel kefir a couple times, mostly just because I'm so busy with all the other kids that I'm not sitting there spooning it to him and we don't own a bottle. And so there's really just no way to deliver it to him in a clean way. But raw milk kefir would be something that I would really like to give him more often. Another thing that I love giving him is my raw cheese from Azure Standard. That is, to me, such a great high protein. It's also really easy for them to pick up. So lately, whenever he's cranky and I need something for him to do for a minute, I'll put him in his high chair, grab my cheese shredder, and then just shred him off some cheese. And it's the perfect little size for him to pick up, put in his mouth, and not choke because it's in shreds. But it's like the bigger size of the shredder. So like on the side that isn't grated. I used to give my other babies some egg yolk. Back whenever I was doing more spoon feeding than I am now, which is basically not at all, I would hard boil eggs and then mash the yolk in with avocado or banana or applesauce or any combination thereof. I find that the egg yolks themselves are a little bit powdery and could potentially be a choking hazard if not mixed with something else, or just if you cut them really small, they are a good first food as well. I also give him, whenever we have mashed sweet potatoes, I just will put a little pile of them on his tray and he will 
put them in his mouth in handfuls. Scrambled eggs is a good one. Another unlikely baby food that you don't hear about much as baby food, but I find is perfect, is dicing up an onion and cooking it until it's soft and yeah. almost caramelized in some butter. And they're just the perfect little size for them to pick up, gum down, and then of course it's a vegetable, so it's good. So that is something that Daniel gets. Now I don't typically, because he's the sixth child, let's face it, make him an onion on his own, but we do have sauteed onions in a lot of our dishes. And that's something that I'll pick out and give to him. Like if it's something we're having like tacos where it's a steak or chicken or something that Daniel can't eat, but there's onions in there, I will give him some pieces of onion. Avocado is good. My sister's kids, they all will just eat plain avocado. Some of mine did, and some of mine now, like my oldest daughter, Ruthie, she'll eat avocado now, but as a baby, she didn't like it, and Daniel has followed suit with that. He just spits it right back out. He also makes a really funny face when he eats sauerkraut, but then he goes back for more. So he makes that little shiver sour face, but he does go back for more and he does eat it. So it's a good probiotic for him. Now I do shred my cabbage whenever I make sauerkraut. So that's why I can give it to him. Obviously babies just kind of gum it around and then swallow it. So if you make your sauerkraut in larger chunks, then you can't, of course, give that to a baby because it, it would be a choking hazard. I also do give Daniel sourdough bread, sourdough pancakes. Now, I have substituted the honey in the recipe for date syrup because babies can't have honey up till age one, and then I like to go a little bit beyond one as well. So I'll do my sourdough pancake recipe and just put date syrup in the place of the honey, my sourdough bread recipe, and just cut really tiny pieces for him to gum down because I don't want him to choke. Things like ground beef, ground sausage, usually if we're having that in a meal, I'll grab a little bit, put on his tray, I also have been making a lot this summer a zucchini, in quotes, mac and cheese. So I'll saute some zucchini in butter, shred some cheese on top and melt it. And then that shredded zucchini is soft and the perfect size for Daniel to come down. And he really likes that as well. Danny, what else do you eat? Huh? We'll give him some frozen strawberries chopped up, frozen blueberries chopped up. He likes bananas, but I try not to give him too much because they're pretty sweet. But of course he absolutely loves them. Sometimes when the kids are eating raisins, I'll just smash one between my fingers and put it on his tray. I like to give him more of the higher protein foods like hard-boiled eggs or shredded cheese, but usually just whatever we're eating is what he gets or whatever the kids are eating is pretty much what he gets. Now, I was way more strict and a, a perfectionist with my first couple of kids. Like with them, I wouldn't have given them any grains or, you know, anything like that. And Still, I don't think that it's best to give babies grains, but definitely I will give him little pieces of that as well. So just whatever we're eating is what he gets. All right, well, I hope that that answers your questions that I haven't really addressed too many places on reheating foods, feeding babies, and storing grains. If you are ready to get started on your simple living journey, I've made tons of free eBooks. I have one on making your own homemade natural body products. I have printables for essential oil roller bottles. I have my sourdough eBook. You can find them all in 
one place with exclusive access to my subscriber library. You can get that by entering your email at farmhouseonboon.com slash farmhouse resources. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast, and I'll see you in the next one.